Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Let's everybody stand together. As we go to the Lord in prayer, let's ask the Lord to bless us all here today, this morning in this service. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. We ask you, Lord, to bless each and every one of us today. Touch our hearts, Lord, with your presence, your spirit, your grace, your goodness, your love. We ask you to bless the word of God to our hearts. Open our minds as we open our hearts unto you, Jesus. We ask you to bless the word. In thy name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them you're glad they're here this morning. Praise God. If this is uh, your first or few times being here, what you're seeing I'm surrounded with here is the drama scenes. This is the cross. <laughs> Everybody figured that one out. That was left, I guess, from Friday night. So we still have it there. And I guess it's a good reminder that that's the time of the year we're in. Friday is, this coming Friday would be what's called Good Friday, which is, represents the day Jesus was crucified that precedes Easter. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> today is Palm Sunday, as it's referred to. A lot of people celebrate Palm Sunday with palm leaves and things like that. Uh, the Bible talks about them spreading out branches, tree branches, and so forth. John is the only gospel book that mentions the palms, but they're there. So they did use palm leaves. They stowed them in the way so that whenever Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem a week before what we know today to be Easter, a week before that, uh, called we now call Palm Sunday, that he walked, the horse and the donkey walked together. So the horse and donkey, the donkey and the colt walked together uh, on over those palm leaves and so forth. Uh, I want to, uh, I'm going to do two things today. I've got a text that I want to read to you concerning Palm Sunday. And from that, I'm going to talk to you about where we have been talking and what that has to do with us where we are today. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. And uh, <clears throat> at the very beginning, the first verse, this is the beginning of what's called Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus had come uh, through Galilee, through, through Jericho rather, and he had come up, uh, it's, a, it's an uh, ascending route, it's a very steep a road that comes up to Jerusalem. It comes up, first of all, to the Mount of Olives, which is on the uh, east side of Jerusalem. And uh, he came there, and from there, uh, they got a donkey and so forth. I want to talk to you a little bit about what this all meant. So look at 21 and verse 1. And when they drew nigh, uh, drew nigh unto, the, unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was on the east side of uh, Jerusalem. And when you stood on the Mount of Olives, you could look over and see the temple and the wall, of course, over on the other side of the valley. The valley was not very far. It's not very steep. It's, uh, it's a slight valley, and it's not a very far distance. But they could look over, and they could see the temple and so forth. It was a very interesting view. Jesus often went there with his disciples. In between there lay a place called uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed before he was crucified. So it says here in this uh, 21st chapter, first verse, when they drew nigh unto the 
Jerusalem and were come to Beth, uh, Beth uh, Phage, and to the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples. Now notice this closely. Saying unto them, go into the village. And the village he has reference to is, uh, is Bethphage. And Bethphage was just east of the peak of Mount of Olives. There were two towns there, Beth, uh, Bethany and also this uh, city of Bethphage. And he sent two people, two of his disciples, uh, go you, and he said, verse 2, saying unto them, go into the village over against you and straightway you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her loose them and bring them unto me now what you had there was a donkey and you had a, a little colt and uh, the bible goes on to talk about the colt here in verse five but it was a foal a foal is a unweaned colt and it was so young that he's unweaned and so this is a uh, the scene that it shows you in Matthew. Uh, it says, a colt with her, loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, if anybody says anything to you, ye say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. So if anybody says anything to you about you taking the colt and the donkey that's there tied, uh, he says, you just tell them the master hath need of it. Uh, the only place that it mentions about anybody saying anything is found in John. John said they went, or Luke rather, Luke says that they went there. And uh, a man says, why do you lose the, the coat? And they said, the master hath need of him. And the, then the man said, okay, take him, you know, just like no problem, you know. And we don't know what happened or whether the man had a dream or whether the man had been spoken to of the Lord possibly. Prior to that, but somehow or another, God had let this man know. And the Bible says over in Luke, he was the owner of the animals. And he said, okay, you can take them. So Matthew just says that if any man does say that, this is what you say to him. And then verse 4, I'm continuing in Matthew 21, 4. Uh, All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And of course, the foal is, is the unweaned, still nursing uh, colt. Colt's the baby. It's just a horse, donkey, anything of that nature. And so this is what, and when they came, it went on to say here, verse 8, a great multitude spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches in the trees and strawed them in the way and so forth. Talked about them laying their clothes also like their outer garments, their coats, their coats or cloaks. And they laid them on the donkey and it fell over the foal. And Jesus sat on that with, with his feet over the foal. And that's the way he went into Jerusalem. One of the most unusual sights you would ever see. That Foal was going to stay with his mother. He was determined to stay with his mother because he was still nursing a foal, a colt. And uh, so he was going to stay with his mother, and it was no problem. And the reason that the Lord had it that way was that it was the most humble, the most unusual situation you'd ever see. The Lord says, when you see that, you will know then that this is the Lord. And this was prophesied over in the Old Testament. 
that he should come into Jerusalem this way. You see, champions and conquerors and leaders, they rode uh, white stallions and they rode black stallions. Uh, Alexander the Great had a black horse and uh, he loved that horse and he rode that horse and whenever he led his men into battle, he'd stand up on a hill and they'd see him on that black horse and, and they were fired and ready to go into battle and fight. Napoleon rode a white horse, he had a white horse. And he did the same thing. He'd sit up on a hill and they, all the men say, there he is. And he's watching and he's with us and he's right here. And so then they would go into battle and they had courage to fight. Jesus never entered into triumphantly into Jerusalem in that fashion. Do you get the picture here? Jesus was humble in everything he did. Born in a stable, laid in a manger, you know, as a baby. Uh, no place for him even in the inn. Motel type atmosphere. Uh, the Lord Himself came into this world humbly, and He also uh, was going to ride this triumphant entry in which everybody was going to shout, Hosanna, the King, our King is coming, and so forth. He was going to do it in the most humble way. And He did it on a borrowed donkey. Think about that, a borrowed donkey. And I want to put emphasis on that. He was on a borrowed donkey. Now, I'm going to give you another scripture, a verse of scripture that I want to refer to, and that's uh, in Matthew, the very next to last chapter, the 27th. And this is when Jesus had died on the cross, and the rich man Joseph of Arimathea came to take his body down from the cross. I'm going to read these verses to you. This is uh, Matthew 27, verse 57. 27, 57. Notice these very closely. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea. That was the place he was from. And, uh, 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 Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. Now, I think one of the gospel books, I think it's John, says that he and Nicodemus came together. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, as you know, in the third chapter of John, was the one who came by night to talk to Jesus. And Jesus talked to him about it. These men were secret disciples of Jesus. They were not open because they were men of wealth, they were men of position, they were men of power in the community, and they sort of stayed back and stood back. Can I just tell you today, folks, that there are people who are disciples of the Lord in this fashion, but God would have us to be his right out front. He'd have us to be like the 12 apostles. He'd have us to say, I belong to Jesus. I am a child of God. I am a Christian. But God will use these people in his own way, in his own good time. But they can never be as richly blessed as those who commit themselves wholeheartedly to the way of the Lord. Praise God. Now, I want you to look at something here that I'm talking to you about, Joseph Arimathea. It goes on to say that he went to Pilate. Verse 58, he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb. Joseph had already had his own tomb carved out, and they had to carve it out out of the cliff, out of the, uh, out of the, the sandstone where they buried people. And then they would roll stones away, and they were there. From then on, 
And this is the way they buried people and still buried, not entirely anymore, but this is the way they used to do it back in those days. So he had his own tomb there carved out and, uh, and ready for him to be buried whenever it came his time. Well, he gave it up. He turned it over to Jesus. And he laid in his own new tomb, which he had uh, hewn in the stone rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed, feeling like in himself that he had done his last good deed for this good man, this prophet of God, whoever he was. He had done his deed knowing that he would have to have another tomb. Now, here's my point in all of this. Jesus gave him back his tomb. Remember that. Jesus gave him back his tomb. The man that loaned Jesus the donkey to ride in on Jerusalem, he gave the donkey back. You never give to God that he doesn't give back. This is a beautiful thing about the Lord. The Lord may borrow something of ours, but he never takes it forever. We loan it to him only for a season. But if, God, if we will be willing to give to the Lord, amen, the Lord, praise the Lord, can take it and he will use it, amen, and he, but he will always give it back. There's a scripture in 1 Samuel where it talks about a man and his two wives would go up and worship. And one wife had several children, one did not. Her name was Hannah. And uh, Hannah would pray and say, God, I want a son, I want a son, I want a son. He had, she had no children. One day the Lord said, I will answer your prayers and I will give you a son. And she said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. I will give him back. It says it in the scriptures, I'll give him back to the Lord. And then later on, praise the Lord, when he was born and he was weaned, this was Samuel, and she took him to the temple. She said, Lord, you have given him unto me. Now I lend him to the Lord. She said, I lend him. She did not say I give him to, to the Lord. I lend him to the Lord. And she lent. Can I just say this? Mothers never give away their children. Not if they're you know, good mothers. I'm an old-fashioned guy. You know, when they say, who give it this woman to be married to this man? I, I really, my, my daughter got all upset about this when I, they were getting married. Who give it this woman to be married to this man? And the man always, the father says, I, her father. And, they, and now it's my, her father, and her mother. And I said, no, no, mothers never give away their children. I said, fathers may say, I give to this man, but mothers never give away their children. But in modern-day weddings, that's the way they do it nowadays and everything. And I said, no, I'm not going to say it. My daughter said, Dad, you've got to, you've got to. That's the way we do it today. You know, it was, and I finally went along with it, and I did it. But in my heart, I don't believe that women should, should ever give away their children even at the wedding. Praise the Lord. I've just said that for whatever it's worth. What I am pointing out to you here. All right, thank you, ladies. <laughs> God bless you. What I am saying here is that uh, that this uh, whatever you whatever you give to God, it's really just a loan. And so when she says, "God, if you gave me a child, I'll give him to you," but when it came down to giving him, she loaned him to the Lord because that's all you really do. Samuel would come up back to be a blessing over and over and over, not only to Hannah but to all Israel for a long, long time to come. And I'm just saying here, folks, anything you ever give to God. Now listen to me closely on this. This is a principle of the Lord. You see, he really doesn't need anything we have. 
But if we're willing to give, the Lord will only use it. He will only be a blessing with it, and then he gives it back. Praise God. And I'm going to read a verse of scripture over here in Proverbs uh, to us. This is Proverbs found, Proverbs 19:17. Look at this verse of scripture for a minute. 1917 of Proverbs. He that hath pity upon the poor, pity means having pity that you would give to them and help them. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto, unto the Lord. You loan to God. And that which he hath given will he pay him again. That's a promise in the word of God. So anything that you ever do, and let me just say this, the poor are still the ones that get, you know, get the bad end and the raw end of things still in this, in this life, even in America. It's the poor. And you can say what you want to, but I still, I still believe that the poor get the raw end of the, of, of the deal all the time. I see it in the book of Revelation, even in the, in the end time, it's the poor that will suffer first. It's the poor who are the multitudes in the world. And if we who are God's people, and the Bible says, remember the poor you will have with you always. The poor you will have with you always. It didn't say you would be the poor. It says you will have them with you. One brother says, Lord, I want to be one of the with you's. <laughs> I want to be one of the with you's. The poor you will have with you, praise the Lord. So I'm just saying that as long as that's the case, and they'll always be the case, the poor you'll have with you always, we should always have a heart for the poor. Folks, if we will remember to do that, the word of God tells us and teaches us. And you may be saying right now, Brother Meyer, don't even teach me that. I don't even want to hear that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. That which he hath given unto him, he, he pays him back again. Praise the Lord. And these scriptures are found all in the word of God and about giving. Amen. And then I'm going to read one other verse of scripture to you here. And this is one found over in the book of uh, over the book of Luke, and it's chapter six and uh, verse thirty-eight. This is one of my favorite scriptures. If you've got a pen, put a ring around this thirty-eighth verse in chapter six of the book of Luke. I'm going to show you today, and I'm going to talk about a principle of the Lord. It says, verse thirty-eight: "Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down." shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye met with all it shall be measured to you again now what i'm talking to you here about is learn to be a giver if you want to be blessed of the lord learn to be a giver praise the lord and there's all kinds of ways we give we think of mostly of finances but there's giving of ourselves and our own lives it's giving of our time, you know. It's giving to help some kid come to Sunday school by picking him up on a Sunday morning and bringing him when you come or a family or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we help. This church has been a giving church and still is a leader in giving. You know, we, you saw on Friday night, and they'll probably show it again uh, tonight on just a little three-minute video here about our uh, our ministry called Helping Hands. Most of us are, are very familiar with that. But Helping Hands, is, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a legitimate, bona fide, government-recognized organization that we can help people not only in this city, but in the whole country and anywhere in the world. This country helped you know, the people when they had the earthquake down in Haiti. We were down there giving out food. Our people were 
uh, earthquakes, hurricanes hit the islands down there, uh, down the orphanages that we're helping to support down in uh, Guatemala we just built. This church led the way to build that orphanage. I don't know whether you know it or not, but this church led the way to build that orphanage. And in uh, Guatemala, there's like, uh, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of children that are orphans. They have no, they have no parents. And uh, I have been right there at the, at the edge of that cliff. And there's a big cemetery up here. And you stand at the edge of the cemetery. You look down at the valley way down below down there. You look down in that valley and, uh, and it's, it's the city dump. And they bring loads of garbage in there every day, truck after truck. And they dump it and the bulldozers pushing that garbage down. But also in that dump lives 10,000 people live in that dump in that valley between those mountains, huge. And when you look down, you can hardly tell the difference between the people and the vultures that are flying around, all fighting for the same thing. A truck comes in and those people will lay their hand on the truck and follow it and follow it and follow it until it stops. And then they start grabbing and pulling and before that truck can hardly dump it and when as soon as it dumps it, it pulls it out and the little kids are scurrying around and you wonder, oh, my God, they're going to get run over with that truck, but they know how to get out of the way, and the guy in the truck just drives on. I mean, it's like he's used to that. You know, the truck, the bulldozer backs his bulldozer up, and he starts spreading it out, and they have to go through that dump, that garbage load. They've got to go through it in a matter of about five minutes. It's going to all be pushed and scattered, and the bulldozer runs over it. And so they're there frantically trying to get anything, and they've got it all figured out, tin cans and bottles, food, anything they can. And 10,000 people, I read this in National Geographic because they wrote, wrote about it in Guatemala City. And 10,000 people live in this dump and they live off of that garbage. And the amazing thing about it is before it gets to the dump, there's other people who have gone through the garbage somewhere else uh, in town or in another stop someplace before it ever gets there. And I'm just trying to tell you here, they are the poor. And some of our people had a burden to try to build an orphanage there for those children. They grow up in the dump. They have no hope. They have no future. They have nothing. And uh, this church led the way in that. I, I thank God for that. I'm trying to say, folks, if we'll be a, a giving people, if we will be a giving people, God will honor us. He will honor you individually. And God has blessed this congregation. And he has blessed your pastor. He's been a real leader in these things. And uh, I know that they were trying to receive an offering, and uh, they said, we want to start building this orphanage. We need to get something going here, that little committee. And your pastor says, I'll give $5,000. And those men all looked around at each other, and they said, well, we'll give. So everybody else gave 1000 This church gave 1000 I mean, he gave 1000 himself, and everybody else gave 1000 And when they walked out of that committee, they had $10,000. They walked out on the conference floor, men's conference and they said, we've got $10,000 to start building an orphanage down in Guatemala. And somebody says, so we want to think about that and we want to remember that and we want to do something. And somebody stood up and said, hey, let's do it now. Let's do it now. And they talked to the chairman. He said, you want to do it now? They said, yeah. Everybody that'll give a thousand stand up. And all these men stood up all over and they raised $35,000, $40,000 that day. And then, you know, five and and, and they did it, and they said, let's get started. And they started building that orphanage, and others came in. This church here was a leader in building that first one called the Florida Home. That was the first uh, home. What they would do is build a home 
and owned, they had 10 acres. They would build a home, and then they could put 10 children in that one home, and they would put a set of parents in there, people that were saints of God that lived in there. And they'd bring them out and say, this is where you live with these children, and then, and so forth. And then when they built that Florida home, Louisiana says, hey, you're not going to beat us. We're going to build a Florida, we're going to build a Louisiana home. Texas said, we're going to build a, a Texas home. California said, we're going to build a California home. And they started building and building and building and building and building and building, you know. And it just kept on. And so, and one of the buildings down there is named after my own mother because of the money that was given uh, through this church. It was given in that behalf. And so, it was named after her. And so, they instead of calling it the Florida House, they just called it Ruth L. Meyer. I'm just only telling you that because now they've got all these kids in there and they, they, they can't even scratch the surface. There's still so many more children. Now there's plans being made to duplicate that building, that campus, 10, 10 acres across the street. They've already bought the land and they said, we've got to enlarge it. The president of Guatemala has come out and said, you know, this is the best thing that ever happened to us. You American people come down here because you love God and you love... And, and say, so we don't understand why you care about our children, but we appreciate you doing that. And so, you know, and they had a little a law. Every child had to be given. Every child has to be given a little, a little rug, a little rug. And that rug is for him to sleep on, cover up with, or crawl under, or anything, anytime. That's always his. And every child is given that, at least. This is not the orphanage. This is the government's requirements. They said, hey, we're going to give more than just a little rug. We're going to give a roof over their head and a mom and dad that will help them in a school they can go to. I'm just trying to tell you here, folks, if we will be a giving people, praise the Lord. I, I don't know why some people get hung up on it. When it's in the word of God, if I believe in Acts 2.38, if I repent of my sins and I'm baptized in Jesus' name, the Bible says my sins are washed away. How do you know they're washed away? How do you know they're washed away? Do you see them in the water? You see your sins washed away in the water? You say, well, that's how I feel. Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. I, I felt it when I got baptized and so forth. But the way we really know is because the Word says it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when I was baptized, when you were baptized, our sins were washed away. We know that. By the word of God, that's called our faith in the word of the Lord. And if we can believe God, if we can believe him for salvation, and there are other scriptures, many others, of course, that substantiate that one verse. But if we can believe God for salvation, we can believe him for giving because it's a powerful thing in the Bible. And the Lord has saved us for, excuse me, <coughs> It saved us for more than just us enjoying salvation. But he's done it that we might be saved, that we may know the Lord, and also that we might be a blessing to others. And I just want to talk to you here today about being willing to give to the Lord because the Bible says it'll be given back to you. You'll never give to the poor that it won't be given back. And I appreciate this church. I appreciate this, the, the vision your pastor has had. Now we're, we're connected with another orphanage down in uh, Honduras and that, that orphanage. We've helped that orphanage. We built churches in Africa and since, you know, what it was that we had a, a shoe sale twice, not a shoe sale, a shoe collection 
you know, people just brought old shoes and everything. I mean, truck, I mean, it's a semi truckload of them. And we had those shipped to Africa to sit it over there where children don't have any shoes at all and everything. And I, I understand when they got there, those kids went and those people, adults too, a lot of shoes are adult shoes. It was all kinds. I mean, some kids had little feet, but they had big shoes on when they got them on because they just wanted anything. And I'm just telling you, <coughs> whenever we see those things happen, God will honor you and he will bless you. And you, can, you can't say, oh, let's see how it works. I'm going to figure it out. You can't figure it out. God's mathematics is a lot higher than ours. It's sometimes a lot different than ours. Amen. And you just say, you know, you may get, you may would have gotten sick, but you don't get sick because he kept you from getting sick. You may have, could, could have gotten in a car accident, but you didn't get in a car accident because he kept his hand on you. Praise the Lord. Because you were a giver, because you said, I want to do the will of God and the things of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Somebody said, oh, do I have to pay tithes? Oh, my God. I mean, Abraham did that. I mean, the father of faith. Joseph did that. Jacob, I mean, rather did that. They, they, all, they all paid tithes. The early, it was commanded of them under the law to pay tithes. In the New Testament, they paid tithes. I'm just trying to say there's 10% of what we earn. You say, oh, my, that's a lot of money. No, it isn't. What's well, 10%? Well, I still have 90%. God can do more with that 90% that you keep and the 10% you give to God. Amen. God will bless that, but he'll bless that 90% that you have, that you have left. He'll bless that more than what you could have done with the, the 100%. All you got to do is say, God, I'm going to do it your way. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that, we bless the kingdom of God by paying tithes. And the Bible calls tithes is what belongs to God. <clears throat> and the Lord even told Israel one time, he said, you are my tithe. You are my tithe among the nations. Israel was. So I'm just pointing out to you here that the Lord, praise the Lord, says, if we can be givers. And you know, it's something that somehow or another, it becomes a very sensitive subject. But if I could understand that the Bible is filled with it, you will never give to God without it just being a loan to him. He'll be giving it back. One way or the other, he gives it back. I never will forget my daughter one time. I'll never forget this. I don't know how it happened. Some things you just can't figure out. But my, my daughter was uh, Sister Johnson. She was uh, pulled up to a stop, stop light. I, I could tell you where it is, but it doesn't matter. It's in Melbourne. Pulled up to a stoplight. And was just sitting there waiting for the light to turn green. And the guy across the street ran that red light from across, across the road. Ran the red light from the other side. And a car coming from the side saw, you know, hit that car. And that car started spinning around and coming. All of it was coming right at her. And she was just sitting there. And she closed her eyes and grabbed the steering wheel and said, oh, Jesus. And nothing happened. She just felt a little, little spray of stuff. Nothing happened. She opened her eyes, and she only saw one car out in the middle all banged up. And she started looking around, and the other car was behind her. Behind her. And she thought, how did that car get behind me? Did it flip over? Did it spin around? She doesn't know how it happened. 
she had her eyes closed as it was praying, saying, oh, Jesus, and everything. And outside of just a, some, some glass that was sort of falling on her car, I mean, she cranked up and drove away, you know, went home. Shaking like a leaf, said, thank you, Jesus. But you see how God spares us sometimes. This is his way of giving back. And I'm just saying here today, let's trust the Lord. Let's trust the Lord in being a giver. You know, I'm, and I'm, I know I'm using financial things here, but it can be all kinds of ways that we are givers, that we give to God, we give to his kingdom, we give to his work by our time, our efforts. Many of you people are, you're workers, and uh, you do work here at this church, and you, some of your ushers, and Leroy Burroughs, God bless that man, he keeps this church so clean for us. He's our janitor, and he works all the time doing it, and he is just such a worker. Leroy, there you are, but God bless you. And I want to just say here today, I appreciate so many of you people. Let me just say one thing here about, I, I just love this church. I do. I came here 45, my wife and family, we all came here 45 years ago. What a great church. It was only, we had about five families. And what a bunch of good people. And they're still here. They're still here. The ones that have passed on, their families are still here. And I tell you that so that, you understand here what a great foundation that this church has. And I, re I remember that, uh, that we came here and we had a social. And uh, we had put out all the tables and the food and stuff. And people came in, we ate, and we had a big time of fellowship. And this was like my first time my, after we had just come here, just moved. And after it was all over with, the men, the men, there was five men, they all began to clear the table, pick up everything. They folded the chairs. They took up, they took the tables, they took them up, began to fold them away. And I stood back and I said, wow. And before long, they had that little small fellowship hall. This was back our church, way down on Palm Bay Road, the old one. They had that, they had that little fellowship hall all cleaned and swept and everything put away. Before we, before we ever left, they had it all done. I said, wow, that's amazing. And Brother Jenkins, Richard Jenkins said to me, Brother Myers, this is the way this church has always been. And we do that. And if you ever are in one of our socials over here, where we have, you know, you can have 500 people over here eating, just like we'd had on watch night service. If you'll notice, after everybody has fellowshiped and everybody has eaten everything, you'll see guys starting to fold up chairs. You'll see them folding up tables. They're rolling away. They won't say a word to nobody, but it's almost like an unspoken. And you have always done that. You've always done that. One evangelist said to me, Brother Myers, you really have taught these people well. I said, I didn't teach them. I didn't teach them. I, they did this before I ever came. It was a, something about this group of people, and they have been that way, and they have a spirit to do and the spirit to work and the spirit to give, praise the Lord, of themselves. And I'm just saying here today, folks, if we will be that kind of a Christian, and if we will say, God, I'm going to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. You want to be blessed in your life, you learn how to give. And this is what the Bible here is telling us here in this book of Luke here, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. It says it right there. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Well, it could just say that, and that's enough. But the Lord doesn't stop there. This is Jesus talking. He says, good measure, pressed down. You know what that means. You know, you put something in it and you push it down and you pack it in there real tight, you know. You know, as tight as you can get it. If it's, 
leaves in a basket or if it's, if it's uh, I don't know how to describe it, feathers and something, it just packs it down. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together. You know how you shake things together and it sort of, you know, works itself down? Shaken together and running over. God always, you know, it, running over a little bit doesn't bother God. David said, my cup runneth over. That cup was a drinking uh, place. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the cup that was talked about was where they watered a, sh a sheep. And shepherds would have these, these round places that they would come and drink out of. And the sheep would all gather around there. And a shepherd would pour in water there. And if he was a lazy shepherd, he poured in just enough that it would get enough water to the sheep. They had maybe the last ones were down there trying to lick the bottom, get the last bit of water out because there wasn't much left. But a good shepherd, he would take that bucket and he'd pour that thing full and those lambs begin to jump around and just get excited because water, they started drinking. He'd get another bucket of water and he'd pour it there and he'd go back to the well, draw up some more water and came back and he'd pour water in it and it'd start running over. It'd just running over and he'd pour another bucket just to make it, you know, my cup runneth over. That's why David said, my cup runneth over. And he was saying that the Lord is so good. He doesn't just give you enough, he runs it over. Folks, I'm telling you, this is the way God operates. And if we can ever understand and learn how God operates on things, he can be a blessing to you and you will be a blessing to the kingdom. And God can bless, and let me just say this, he can outbless you. You can't bless him enough that he can't outbless you greater. The Lord is the greater of the blessings giving, of the blessing giver. And if we will say, God, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to live for you with all my heart, God. And I'm going to be a giver of the things of the Lord and the things of God. First of all, we got to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Him first, right? And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what Jesus said. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, the second is like it under this, love your neighbor as yourself. You look at that cross, it's vertical and it's horizontal. That's the way the love of God is, praise the Lord. It's vertical first to him. And you cannot love your neighbor unless you love him first. You've got to love the Lord. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of love and a spirit of grace, goodness, and giving and everything. And when that Holy Spirit comes in us, praise the Lord, it gives us a love for others, praise the Lord. You may hate somebody, but the Holy Spirit inside of you, us, you know, all of us, will cause you to love the person that you hate, praise the Lord. I've told this story about the night I received the Holy Ghost. There was a man who received the Holy Ghost next to me. This has been many years ago, and uh, I, you don't even want to hear that. <laughs> I mean, how long ago it's been. But anyhow, I was only 16 years old. This man received the Holy Ghost next to me. He had been a convict in prison. And he had put it in his mind and heart that if he ever found the man that turned state evidence against him, he was going to kill him. He had figured out how he could kill him and how he could go back to trial, be tried and go back to prison and probably serve about seven years and then get out. And he had it all figured out. He had it all figured out what he was going to do. And he was looking for the guy. And, uh, and when he got the Holy Ghost, that all changed. Nobody knew that but him. And I was with him after the change when we walked into a restaurant and the man he had been looking for for months was sitting on a, on a, bar, a bar stool up at the counter in the restaurant. 
And we sat down at the table, and he said, I'll be right back. He walked up there to the guy, tapped the guy on the back, on the shoulder. The guy turned around, and I watched the whole scene. He turned white as a sheet. He knew his number was up because he had heard this guy's looking for him. And you know what he said to him? He said, I want you to go in peace and never worry about me ever again. God has given me the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I'm a changed person. Never worry about me again. And he turned and walked away and came over and sat down with me, and we ordered dinner. Shortly after that, the guy eased on out. But you know something? He never had to worry again because and this guy never went looking for him because he had the love of God, and the love of God was shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Ghost. And it causes you to love people. Don't, folks, don't ever lock your, the Bible uses this term, and I'm using it. Don't ever lock your bowels of compassion against the poor or against the needy. And I, I'm serious. God will bless you, and he will always take care of his people. And he will keep his hand on us, and he will bless us. And there's nothing that he cannot take care of and nothing he cannot bless us with. But he wants his people to always be a people who give. Praise the Lord. Some of you are soul winners. Some of you have gifts that nobody else has. Some of you have talents and qualities about you. Some of you men are, are, are smart business people. You know, God, God has put it in your mind and your heart how to make money. God bless you for that. But don't ever get stingy with God. You say, God, I'm going to be a giver. There's one brother in this church, and he's sitting in here to, this morning, and I won't call him out. He knows who he is. I know who he is. But he's a good man. One time he told God, said, God, if you'll bless me, he said, I will be a giver to the work of God. I promise you from this day forward, I'll be a giver to if you'll bless me. And God started blessing that guy, and he began to make money over hand, over fist, and became very wealthy. Praise the Lord. And God blessed him. And as God blessed him, he gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave. Because he said, I know where it comes from. And it does come. And once you know that, you say, I dare not to be any less than a giver. But he had to come to that. Some people say, well, I don't know, that's sort of hard to, to do. You know, I don't. But you have to start giving first because that's an act of faith. That's an act of faith. You've got to be the giver first. You can't say, well, if God blesses me, then I will give. No, no, you start giving and then God will bless. That's the way God operates. And I'm just telling you what, if you want to be blessed, you be a blesser. And if you just want to do it just to say, I want to be on the front lines for the kingdom of God, be a giver. That's not, God, God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He can bless you ways that you cannot even imagine. He can pour out blessings upon you and me, every, any of us. But we have to be willing, though, to be a blessing to the kingdom and to be a giver. Hallelujah. And if we will do that and be that way, God will keep his hand on us. He'll never forsake us. He'll bless you and he'll bless your children. Praise the Lord. He'll bless your children. The Bible said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed, that's the children, or his seed begging bread. That means if you live for God and you serve the Lord and you walk with the Lord and you're a blessing, your children won't go hungry. That's the promise from God. You said, you know, Brother Myers, I don't know, you don't know what the economy is going to do. Hey, God is greater than the economy. God is greater than the stock market. God is greater than Wall Street. I mean, it is, he's greater than anything in, going in, in, the, in, the, in the world. And if we can say, God, we know that you'll always take care of your own. I want you to know that you can say, God, I want to be a giver to the kingdom of God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And God will be a blessing to you and a blessing to me. And he'll bless the church. 
praise the Lord, there's nothing our God cannot do. And I, I just feel full here today about this. I, 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 I know that what God has done, I know what God can do, and I know what God is still wanting to do. God is wanting to bless this church mightily, and he wants to bless some of you mightily. But we have to say, God, we have to do it your way, not our way. I may have my own way how I'm going to do this thing, you know. And I think we've all been guilty of that. But if we'll say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. That if whatever you bless me, I'm going to be a giver. And it's right here in the word. It's right here. Give and it shall be given unto you. Heaped up, pressed down, full, shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. Amen. It'll come back to you one way or the other. And uh, you can never outgive God if you even give to the poor. You only loaned it to God. Would you like God to be in debt to you? Would you like God to owe you something? Hey, he never, he never fails to pay his bills. Remember that. He never fails to pay, pay off whenever it's time for him to pay you back. Oh, hallelujah. God is the greatest friend we can have. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, for you're my friend. And a man reveals to his friends what he will do, what he's going to do. And so you and I are more than just servants of the Lord. We are his friends. And the Lord, praise the Lord, can speak to our hearts, lead us, guide us, direct us, and keep us in all things if we'll live for him and trust him. Would you stand with me this morning and let's just worship God. I want you to say, Jesus, whatever you'd ever have me to do, whatever direction you want to lead me in my life, I want you to always have the liberty to do it. Would you lift your hands right now and let's worship God together as we are dismissed with this Sunday school class. Jesus, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness. Thank you for this audience. Thank you for these dear saints of God. Thank you for these good people that love you, love your word. Lord, and give, the, give us all faith to believe the word, Lord, right down to the last letter. We glorify your wonderful name and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.